Well, it's a real privilege to be able to introduce Matt Chanda to you today. Uh, Matt has become a friend of ours and he leads a wonderful church in Dallas, Texas called the Village Church, which I had the privilege of visiting recently. He is a wonderfully gifted preacher, one of this generation's great preachers, I think. And I know that God is going to speak to you as he speaks to us. If you want to grab your Bible and be ready to hear from God and also just to bear up the Americans in your prayers over the course of this next week. It's a challenging time for many there and we want to remember them in our hearts and in our prayers but let's get our bibles and let's be prepared to hear what god's going to say to us through his word well good morning king's church uh god bless you pastor matt chandler uh from dallas texas uh listen huge fan of jesus in your church, through your church, for the city of London. Uh, so I'm excited to just be here with you today uh, to open up the Word of God and let it read us. Uh, and so I've been able to hang out uh, with one of your teaching pastors, Andrew Wilson, uh, a couple of times. And just what a gift of God's grace he is. To me personally, I can only assume uh, even more so uh, for you who get to sit under his teaching uh, and get stirred and moved up by his proclamation of God's Word. Uh, about well, let me do this. If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open those up. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in verse 9, but let me get us there first. Uh, about, if I, had to, if I had to guess now, about 11 or 12 years ago now, uh, I walked into our sanctuary here at the church here, uh, Dallas, Texas, and um, it, it's Celebration Weekend. That's what we called it. And on Celebration Weekend, uh, we uh, dedicate our children to the Lord. We just have moms and dads uh, bring up their kids. We pray a blessing over moms and dads, a blessing over the babies. We uh, introduce new members who have joined the church, and we baptize and so the way we've done baptism, uh, I hope this doesn't get me in trouble. I don't, I don't ideologically know, theologically know where you might land on this. But um, at the Village Church here in Texas, if you share the gospel with your friend or family member and they become a Christian, then, then we want you to be the one that baptizes them. So we don't think uh, that you have to be an ordained minister or to be a, a paid minister, a vocational minister, in order to be the one that baptizes. And so uh, it's Celebration Weekend, one of my favorite things that we do here at the Village. And so I, I'm walking towards, I, I sit up front at our church, um, and so I, I'm walking to my seat. And on the way to my seat, the, this heavyset young man who's probably in his early 20s runs up and he grabs me and he gives me a hug and, and I tried to roll out of it. I'm not a front to front hugger. Um, I might be even English in that. And and man, tried to roll on him and, and he, he rolled on me and then we're just chest to chest. It was super awkward. Then he pushed me away from him and, and he said to me, hey, man, I was homeless, but Jesus got a hold of my life. Man, I love this church. I love being here. Thank you for being faithful to God's word. And by the way, I brought a witch with me tonight and she is furious. And I just thought I should tell you that in case something happens. And then he, and then he just left. And then he just walked away and then went and sat in his seat. And so I sat down on the front row and all I could hear in my head was the single sentence, in case something happens, in case something happens. And I'm like, what could happen? And then I, I just prayed to God, hey, Father in heaven, 
Please don't let some scene from Harry Potter break out in our meeting tonight. I don't want security to tase this woman or drag some woman out screaming and shouting obscenities at Jesus or me. And I'm just praying for peace and asking that this not turn into a scene from Harry Potter. Uh, and then the screen uh, that, that had kind of the welcome to the village church um, announcements on it, uh, raises up behind that uh, screen is a baptistry. And there were two women standing in the baptistry. And the, the woman starts her testimony by saying, I have been actively involved in the occult and witchcraft and witchcraft for the past 20 years. And I'm here to testify today of the goodness and mercy and beauty of Jesus Christ and how he's better than those things. And, and so she shares her testimony and her friend shares her testimony about how she shared the gospel with her and this long journey to salvation for this woman. And then and, and then she's baptized. And, I, and so now I'm praying different. You know, I'm just like, Lord, I knew you had it. I wasn't worried at all. Thank you. When you cover us with your blood, you're so generous to us. I knew you had it. And, and then uh, the next person came out. It was two young men. Uh, and the next young man was... Um, an atheistic Buddhist is how he described himself, which put me in a kind of an existential crisis of wondering, can you be atheistic and Buddhist? Can you not believe in a God and but believe in an energy or a force? And anyway, and and he had struggled with alcoholism. And then here was his friend from work, his friend from work's like, Here, here's my relationship. And then he baptized. And now, man, I'm feeling like a champ of a pastor. Right, like who, did you know there were witches and atheistic Buddhists in Dallas? I didn't know that. Man, I, I'm, I'm expecting, you know, people who grew up in church but never really believed in Jesus to become Christians. I, I'm not thinking there's a, there's, a, there's a coven of witches here that we need to break into. Or, man, there's a kind of a big atheistic Buddhist community here in the suburbs of Dallas. Like, I, I, just these testimonies had me feeling like, man, God is really doing a profound work in our church here in Dallas. And then, um, man, I, I think every testimony after that was some version of this story. I grew up in church my whole life. I grew up going to vacation Bible schools and youth camps and youth mission trips. And, and I never heard the gospel until recently. And, and then they would get baptized. Now, at this same time, my son was born. And so I already had a three-year-old daughter and now I had a newborn son. And there was something about the frequency of that story that, that shook me. The Spirit of God wasn't gonna let it rest. It had, it had done something to me. It had begun to haunt me. The idea that uh, my daughter and my son could grow up in the church, like grow up there and say, I never heard the gospel, uh, bothered me. And so I laid in bed that night and, and the comfort that, that I tried to provide for myself was, no, 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 they heard the gospel. They just didn't have ears to hear the gospel. And so theologically, we know that's correct. It's God who does, the spirit of God that does the work of illumination. You can hear the facts of the gospel and, and be able to say years later, I never heard the gospel because you actually didn't hear the gospel. And so that's how I tried to comfort myself that night. But the spirit of the living God was was like stirring something up in me, something he wanted to show me, something he wanted to teach me. Uh, and so the next day I reached out to three or four uh, of these young men and women, all of them, by the way, were about in their mid-20s, uh, some late 20s. And they, 
I just began to schedule a series of coffees and meals where I just wanted to hear them talk more about that. Like at these youth camps, at these kind of growing up in church, going to vacation Bible schools, did you really not hear the gospel? And man, they were fairly convincing that that they really hadn't, that they had heard uh, a lot of what I would now call moralistic deism, a, a lot of behave this way. We don't drink alcohol. We don't listen to secular music. We don't have sex before marriage. We don't use curse words. We don't watch rated R movies. We don't go to parties. We don't, but but they didn't, by and large, they, they almost unanimously agreed that no one had ever actually walked through what the gospel was and what the gospel was not with them. And, and so that, man, that really, it really messed me up for a while that, that there are these people sitting in front of me every week who, who may not have ever heard the gospel despite the fact that they're in the Bible belt of the United States of America. Like they've just never actually heard it, never really truly understand this is what the gospel is is. And so, man, I, I just started to figure out I needed to wrestle with the Lord at how I wanted the ministry that he was giving me to be formed and shaped around a consistent refrain of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that anyone who ever heard me preach or teach would not be able to say, I never heard the gospel, that I didn't want there to be, and I've wrestled with the Lord on this and prayed and tried to organize the ministry he's given me to this end. I don't want anybody who hears me proclaim, regardless of the topic, to be able to say, I have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I began to study like what ministry like this might look like, it began to stand out to me as I read the scriptures, how often specifically the apostle Paul preached the gospel to people who already knew it. So I think most people, when we think about the gospel, we think it's for lost people. Uh, like we think it's okay, there are people that don't know Jesus, we need to get them the gospel. But one of the things that Paul does, who, who we're gonna have to agree, absolutely believes that that's true. He spends his life on it. He goes, uh, he risks his life. He, he He's in danger all the time so that people far from God might know God. And yet if you read the Pauline epistles, he's consistently preaching the gospel to people who have already believed in the gospel, and who are actively being discipled in the gospel. He, he wants to remind them of the gospel as really kind of the baseboard by which he launches out on whatever else he wants to talk with them about. So if he wants to get to hey, these nuances here in Corinth, or if he wants to address this situation that he needs uh, to get to in Rome, or if he wants to talk to the churches in Galatia, he, he's gonna start with the gospel as means of a reminder and as means of reorienting their heart uh, around their primary identity in life. And so let me show you some of this. This is Romans 1, 13 through 15. The Apostle Paul to the church at Rome says this, I want you to know brothers. Now, the Apostle Paul is not prone to slang. So he's not using brothers here. It's like, what's up brothers, right? They, no, he's saying, my, my brothers, I wanted you to know my brothers in Christ, family members in the household of God. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, 
but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Listen to this. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul's going, look, Brothers, I want to come to you. And when I get there, when God lets me get there, although so far he's kept me from getting there, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. To who? To those who have already heard it and received it and have been filled with the Spirit. And Paul's like, I need to preach it to you again. Again, in Galatians 2, 20 through 3, 6, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Listen to this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplied the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now we could do this in the book of Ephesians with chapters one and two. We could do this in the the book of Philippians with chapter one, 12 through 17. Paul is consistently trying to remind people who believe the gospel to believe the gospel. It, It seems that there is a drift in the human heart, even a human heart that is believed upon the gospel to drift away from the gospel rather than to drop anchor into it. And so with my few moments with you today, uh, I want us to dive into a reminder, a refresher course on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this quote uh, by B.B. Warfield. He says, there is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake or we can never be accepted at all. Listen to this. This is not true of us only when we believe. It is just as true after we have believed. If we continue, it will continue to be true as long as we live. Our need for Christ does not cease with our believing nor does the nature of our relationship to him or to God through him ever alter. No matter what our attainments in Christian graces or achievements and behavior may be, it will always be on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. And this brings me to our text in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, The church in Corinth is a train wreck. Um, I love that First and Second Corinthians are in the Bible. It gives me hope for the church that I pastor. It gives me hope for any church in the world. If ever there was a church that you might want to just shut the door, it, it was the church in Corinth. It, just 
a disaster in the context in, in which our passage, which is uh, verses 9 through 11, finds itself is a rebuke that people at the church in Corinth are actually suing one another and taking one another to court uh, over petty things. So you've got division, you've got the abuse of gifts, you've got sexual perversion, sexual perversion on a scale that most of us can't even get our minds around. In fact, Paul would say even the Gentiles looked at it and was like, yeah, that's nasty. And yet in the middle of this, you've got Paul trying to woo them back to the truth of the gospel and maybe some errors that we believe as we drift away from the gospel. And so let's pick this up in verse nine. This is 1 Corinthians 6, verse nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, the first place that I want to start here is, that, is I want to start with Paul reminding them of where they came from. And, and I want to remind you, Christian, of your history. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to show you an invitation that's being given to you. So Paul starts here uh, with this idea that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and man, you see all of these things in this list, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedies, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Man, before I became a Christian, this is what I understood the Christian message to be, that there were good people and bad people. And good people could be Christians. They grew up in good homes. They behaved well. They did good things for people. And so I very early on knew uh, that I can't be that. In my head, like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, that's, that's what a Christian was. But man, my, my home was a train wreck with all sorts of uh, broken things going on and wicked things going on that I had participated. I mean, I had been discipled into it and had been living out of it. And so I was doing the same wicked things that were actually found in my household. I was perverse, I was violent, and it, it was easy for me to hear about Christianity and just go, well, yeah, that can't be for me because I'm this type of person. And really, Paul's not trying to shy away from that here. He's actually going, no, yeah, you, you, you were that kind of person. And, and maybe even in some ways today, yeah, you are that kind of person. And yet this next line here, this next line, I've just so forever loved, just this, like this miniature, not even a, a full, well, maybe it's a full sentence. And such were some of you. So see, this is what I mean, Christian. He, he's here in these first couple of, he's reminding you of, your history. See, here's the reality on the gospel. Um, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like if you, if you did that with licentiousness or you did that with religion, you've still fallen short of the glory of God. So, so the way I would try to maybe convince you is that if this is the first time in your life you have ever been in a church building or if your mom gave birth to you 
on the altar and the pastor picked you up and smacked your bottom and the first thing that came out of your mouth was Jesus and they baptized you on the day that you were born. Both of you are in desperate need of the saving work of Jesus Christ. So I think this little sentence here, if you're not careful, becomes a, a source of confusion uh, around uh, how we're saved and, and how Jesus saves us and how he accomplishes our salvation in, in his power, might, grace, through faith. So this idea of such were some of you might, if you're not careful, paint a picture of people that have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Maybe you've been around some Christian circles where all the testimonies were, man, I used to get high and now I don't. Or man, I used to be promiscuous, but now I'm not. And if you're not careful, what you might start to think the gospel is, is a group of men and women who once did bad things, but they no longer do bad things. They do good things. And if you're not careful, what ends up happening is over time, you begin to believe that this is a kind of pull yourself up by our bootstraps. If I could just be better, if I could be more disciplined, if I could behave like this and not like this, if I could stop this and start this, then, then maybe the gospel would take root in me. Then, then maybe I would be a Christian. And yet I think what the Galatians are being rebuked for and what's evident in the life of the Corinthians and what you see across Christian history is this drift away from what Jesus has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of his life. And we want to replace it with trying harder and doing better. And then we get in this really crazy cycle. It's one of just one of those heartbreaking things I see as a pastor over and over again where you, um, man, you've got this struggle, you've got this issue, you, you've got some sort of secret sin in your life, and you... Um, God provokes that, maybe with tears. You're like, I'm never going to do that again, God. I'm just never going to blow up at my kid like that. I'm never going to scream at my wife. I'm never going to um, do that again. I'm not going to drink like that. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to do it. And you, and you kind of make these vows. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then what happens is about two or three weeks later, six or seven weeks later, depending on um, how disciplined you are, you, you stumble and fall. And then when you stumble and fall, you, you got to run from God now because you made this promise that, that you're never going to do that again. And man, now you broke your promise to God. And, and then we get in this cycle where we run from God and then, man, I don't know, six months, nine months, a year. And what happens is we begin to isolate, we begin to pull back from community, we begin to pull back um, from uh, the gathering of the saints, we begin to pull back from being in our Bible and praying because we just believe that there's no place for us in front of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords anymore because we made this promise and we've blown it. I mean, have you ever you've been there? Like, honestly, have you ever been there like, oh my gosh, I can't believe again. I can't believe yet again. I failed, yet again I blew it. And the enemy begins to accuse, which is his primary weapon against the people of God. The great accuser of the brethren is what he's called in the book of Revelation. And so um, you, you run from God. And then what happens is, man, maybe um, we're having an event like a worship night or something. Maybe we've got a guest speaker coming in. So you come back to church and you, you hear something, you're provoked, you maybe cry. And then you go, you do it again. You're like, I'm never going to do it again. And then, and then again, six weeks later, maybe this time five months later, you stumble and fall and you run from God. And I, I've just found so many Christians that aren't living in the beauty of a victorious life wrought forth by the Spirit of God, but rather this kind of cycle where they, I'm never going to do it again, only fall, only, and if you're not careful, you're going to hear this thus with some of you. 
and, and begin to believe. I, I don't think intellectually you'll believe it. I think you'll spiritually begin to operate this way where you think that the Christian message is I used to do this and now I don't. Now, certainly there are aspects of that that are true as we are transformed from the inside out. Not external moral transformation, but internal spiritual transformation that leads to a kind of fruitfulness, holiness, godliness, external moral righteousness that becomes visible as we rest all the more in our positional righteousness before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who loves us and gave himself up for us. So uh, that that sentence gives way to, to what I think is just the gospel of Jesus Christ, and here we go. And such were some of you, look at the text. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now I love this, I need you to pay attention here to the passage. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Now here's my question. Are you the active or the passive agent in this Washing. Are you the active or passive agent in this sanctification? Are you the active or passive agent in this justification? Well, I think the passage is clear. We are, you are, I am the passive recipient of the grace and mercy of God made available in the finished work of Jesus Christ in the cross and resurrection. So that my salvation, your salvation, the gospel, isn't a matter of striving but a matter of resting. It's a matter of believing that what God has accomplished for us in Jesus is true. And to stay there, to to be rooted there, to not drift from there so that we might be saved. When the passage talks like this, it's not saying that, well, let me me do this. Let me show you just a few chapters later, the Apostle Paul is gonna go right back into the same idea. This is 1 Corinthians 15, one through six. So, So I love this. Here's the whole concept again. Now, I would remind you brothers. So who's he talking to? Brothers of the gospel that I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if, so if you write in your, like if, and don't let that word scare you, you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Now I want you to see what he just did here with the gospel message. So if you look back there at verse one, now I'd remind you brothers, the gospel I preached to you, look at this, which you received, that's past tense, all right? So you heard this gospel in the past and you received it, but he doesn't stop there in which you stand. That's present, that's present reality. I'm now standing in the gospel. So I received the gospel and now I'm standing in the gospel. So I haven't moved on from it. I am rooted into it. It's not, it's not a door I walk into to walk into something else. It is the thing 
So I was saved by it in my past. I'm standing in it in my future. And look at verse two, and by which you are being saved. That's present future tense. So that the whole Christian's life is, I was saved by the gospel. I'm being saved by the gospel. And I will always be saved by the gospel in this text, according to Paul, if you hold fast to the gospel that was preached to you. Now that's significant because the gospel that was preached to you is that you were washed passive recipient. You were sanctified, passive recipient. You were justified, passive recipient. This doesn't mean that we move towards the Lord. It's that he overwhelmingly moves towards us. He overwhelmingly moves towards us. And then you've just got the simple facts of the gospel. This is what's of first importance. Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. So I don't wanna blow past this, and I know my time's short with you. Christ died for your sins means all of your sin, past, present, and future, was fully, freely, and forever forgiven in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We know this because he was resurrected from the grave, killing sin and death forever. All of you, look, look right at the, look just right at the screen. All of your sins past, like, like the stuff maybe that you participated in to this day that, that you have to wrestle with shame and, and you feel sick to your stomach if you, you just can't believe that you were a part of such things. Your current struggles, maybe even some of you stumbling in here this morning so far from God, life is so unraveling and falling uh, apart. And, and then here's where, man, if I could just orient your heart around this, it would be a win today. Your future failures, because look at me, you've got them. And so do I, and so does every pastor there. We all do, and yet the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross says that that part of you, that past, that present, that future, died with Jesus on the cross. So that Matt Chandler and all that depraved wickedness in his past and his current struggles where he can't see where he's proud or, or he's not sure uh, where, where this part of his life lines up with the scriptures where I'm either knowingly or not aware of where I'm in rebellion against God and the, the mess ups that I know are coming. I will overspeak. I will overreact. I will lose patience. I will, right? Like all of that, all of that died with Jesus on the cross so that now you and I in the gospel, rooted, not moving, saved by it, standing in it, being saved by it, like rooted in the gospel. We don't drift. No, 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 we're, we're steadfast in our identity in Christ, in our forgiveness, in his sacrifice for us, in the vitality for Christian living brought about by his resurrection, by the indwelling of the Spirit as he ascended to the Father and sent the Spirit so that we might live out of the power of God in our inner man. Let me end our time together just with this as a, as a way of just saying, hey, you, you, 
if you're far, if you're not far from the Lord, things are going great right now. I just want you to rejoice that everything I just said is true about you. Like I said, this is for the Christian, it's history. For the non-believer, this is an invitation for you to come on in. In fact, Jesus um, gives one of the strangest invitations, certainly not an invitation you're gonna hear anywhere else in Matthew chapter 11, when he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a fascinating like invitation. Jesus is like, hey, are you socially awkward? Hey, hey come, come to me. Are, are you addicted? Come to me. Are you full of lust and anger? Come to me. Let me, let me help. Let me heal. Let me make new. Let me make right. This is the invitation. Like nobody gives this invitation, right? Are you like strange? You socially are like, do people not like me? Hey, you're my kind of people. Like what kind of invitation, like what religion teaches that? But the good news of the gospel, where he says, hey, come, come here. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give, I'll give you rest. I have the rest you need. An, a new heart, a resurrected spirit. Come to me, all who are weary. I think the best picture of this gospel that seems like just like it's just too good to be true um, the best illustration that I've ever thought of is what happens when you watch a child walk. So my firstborn daughter, Audrey is her name. She's 18 now, which is why I'm allowed to tell this story for a while there, I wasn't. When she was born, um, she was super skinny with a giant head. Uh, I mean, like a, like, like a grapefruit with a toothpick jab. I mean, it just was, it was a strange, strange looking child. She's turned out beautiful. And, you know, she got to where she was starting to crawl around. And so Lauren and I, my wife, we actually got really excited. Like, hey, any time now, any time now, she's going to walk. So she would pull herself up on uh, like one of the couches or coffee table and she would kind of bounce and then she'd let it go. But I was always worried. I mean, this giant head would just kind of move her body around. Like it'd pull her forward and put her back. If she looked up, she'd just fall over. But we were just eager to watch her finally walk when that first kid is learning, you're super excited about it. The second kid, you're not as excited because you know what that means once they get crazy mobile. Um, but we're watching her and, and one day she does it. She lets go of the coffee table and, and she's, you can see like she's doing the best she can. She's trying to engage her core, keep that giant head up and, and, and she's unable to do it and her head falls forward and, and now science has just taken over, right? The common grace of physics and biology has taken over and her giant head starts to pull her body forward. And so she's got two choices. She could stick out her foot or she can die. And, and so she sticks out her little baby foot and she steps. And now you've got full on momentum. You've got the giant head pulling the little body and she stepped, 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 and she fell on the ground. And Lauren and I lost our minds. We were giving each other high fives. We were looking for the phone. That was when you didn't have cell phones. You had to like find the phone. We found the phone, started calling family members. Audrey is walking. Audrey's all, we picked her back up. We said like, come on, try to get her to do it again. And she did the same thing. Walk, walk, step, 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 fall, step, 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 fall, step, step. Each time we, we got more excited that our baby girl was walking. Now, I have never seen a father not rejoice in that moment, not begin to smile, beam, get excited about my child's walking. I have certainly never seen or heard of a father that watches that moment and gets frustrated with the child by going, 
That's really a fall. I mean, that wasn't really walking. It was like step, 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 fall. Like, gosh, the dog can do better than that for a biscuit, right? Like, I've never seen that. I mean, think of how evil the father would be. But I think the reason why we celebrate that moment, why that moment brings us so much joy, because it might just be a picture of how the Lord sees us. That the step, 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 fall for the Christian, God in heaven rejoices in the steps and his grace covers the fall. Brothers, sisters, here's how I want to encourage you today. Man, maybe your story is that you, you remember that moment when the gospel of Jesus Christ came alive in your heart and now you're just having a hard time standing in it. It's just hard for you to believe right now. Like, it's not hard for you to believe that Jesus loved you back then. But you just know a little bit more now. You thought you'd be further along than, than you are. You're kind of frustrated with yourself and probably believing the lies of the enemy about you. And I want to remind you today, listen, you've got a heavenly Father who loves you, who rejoices in the steps. You've got a heavenly Father, according to Luke 15, that's, that's looking out and upon your turn and return. We'll celebrate, not no lecture, a ring and a robe and a fatted calf. Or maybe you're worried about the future, you're standing in it right now, but as you look uh, at the horizon, you just, you're so anxious for, you know, this has been a brutal year, you're anxious about uh, family, you're anxious about the future, you're anxious, and, and I wanna reorient you again, I wanna uh, reroute you in the good news of the gospel that yes, happened to you in the past, but it should be what you're standing on right now. He loves you, he has forgiven you. You have not surprised him. He doesn't want a do-over. He's not in this moment full of regret that he saved you. He knew what he was buying on the cross. Hey, do you hear me? He knew what he was buying on the cross. You need to turn your face back to him. You need to come home, friend. If you're not a Christian at all, the invitation is there for you. He has paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And if you're like, I, I don't, I, you just, you have no idea what I've done. There's no way you can know that. And I'm just telling you, the, the men and women in the Bible who God saves and uses would make any of your sin seem small to your mind, not to the holiness of God, but to your mind. Unless you've murdered someone who you were having an affair with their spouse, maybe even raped their spouse, and then had them killed. I, I think there's a guy in the Bible that has you beat. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, right? Killed and imprisoned the church of Jesus Christ. Certainly, if God is dragging from the fringes some of his brightest lights that are guilty of those kinds of things, brother, sister, there's room for you here. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, as the hymn says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, I just bless these men and women in the name of Jesus Christ right now. Spirit of the living God, I just ask, would you do work in our souls this morning? Just get the sense that there are those in the room just so brutally harsh on themselves, that the gospel in this moment, it, it, they, they don't feel like they can believe it. And yet I just pray in this moment, Spirit of the living God, you, you, you know who they are. Just pray that you would touch their hearts. 
Pray particularly for a woman or a man who are paralyzed because of their past. Gosh, even last night as they laid in their bed, just replaying that moment, feeling the shame, feeling the filthiness of that moment, that this morning your word would penetrate their hearts and eradicate that shame once and for all. Pray for my brothers and sisters that are fearful of the future. I thank you that the gospel never goes anywhere. We don't move through it to something else. It is what is most true about us. Root us and reroot us back in it. We need you, we love you, but we wanna love you more than we do. Make, make this all the more real to us as your sons and daughters adopted through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We love you, we bless you, it's for your beautiful name we pray all of these things. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Some point, you need to get there live, but until then, God bless.